five, four, three, two, one. Lift off of the Falcon 9. Hi, I'm Mark Boucher, and this is the Space Cube Podcast. Today, my guest is Jessica West of Project Plowshares, who will discuss with me the 2019 Space Security Index. The index, in its 16th edition, looks at the global space sector to track trends in the use of outer space from a sustainability perspective. The 2019 index covers the 2018 calendar year and includes the following data from the report. Space activity is flourishing. In 2018, 71 countries own satellites. 72 national space agencies spent a combined $70 billion. 11 new agencies were created or announced. Some of the 2,062 active satellites saved 2,700 lives. The satellite industry earned $277 billion, while startups secured $3 billion in private investment. The new report contains positive developments, but clearly shows more work needs to be done. Listen in. Welcome back, Jessica, to the SpaceQ podcast. Thank you. So, um, once again... The Project Plowshares has released the Space Security Index for uh, this year. Uh, it covers the calendar year uh, 2018 uh, and is released in, uh, I suppose it was released in October of, of this year. Um, can you briefly summarize what's changed between this year's report and last year's report? Sure. I don't think we see drastic changes year to year, but I think what stands out um, from the latest report is the intensity of trends that are developing. And so to me, uh, you see a flourishing of space activity to an extent not seen before. Uh, This year, there were 11 new space agencies created or announced. Um, That's a record, I think, in the years that I've been tracking it. And you also see many new first satellites that, uh, you know, change the map of the number of countries that are participating in space quite drastically. Um, And then you also see an intensification of some of the challenges that are coming with that increasing use. Um, So 2018 marked the first unauthorized launch of a commercial satellite, um, which is frustrating from a governance perspective. Um, But it also marked the first demonstration of debris removal technology and the first launch of a satellite for mega constellations in low Earth orbit. And these are all trends that have been developing over the last few years, but what we're starting to see now is, um, you know, the real outputs of them are emerging, and uh, I think the impacts are accelerating. And that unauthorized launch was the Swarm Technologies uh, satellite, is that correct? Yes, the Space Beam. That's right. Uh, And, of course, uh, we did do a podcast uh, with the CEO of the company a while back, uh, which was quite interesting. Uh, Sarah Sperangelo, I think her name is. And um, they did get a big fine from uh, the FCC. uh, And then they, in turn, were able to convince them 
that um, uh, you know they've seen the error of their ways and they did get licensed to launch uh, more satellites. So do you think that maybe uh, you know uh, there was a lesson learned there and that you know the FCC came in and said, hey, you can't do that and we're not going to see this again or, or is it, are we going to see a repeat of this in the future? I'm hoping we're not going to see an intentional repeat. Um, I know there's debates about, you know, the size of the fine, and that's not my area of expertise. But I think what it points to is the governance challenge. So beyond intentions, you know, you have commercial operators that are licensed in one country and launching from another country, and maybe things are being produced in yet another country. And I think that's part of the beauty of the space industry because, um, you know, outer space is global and the space industry is global. Um, But it also means that there are challenges and things that need to be addressed to make sure that, you know, space is used in in an authorized way and in a sustainable way. Um, So I... You know, for me, I'm not going to cast blame or or speculate on what might happen in the future, but I think it points to a need to have uh, coordinated regulation globally. Okay. So one of the other things that you said uh, in the beginning was uh, talking about the um, increase in activity, which uh, leads me to think that one thing that we've heard about quite a bit over the last few years is that space is getting congested. Um, and now we're starting to see these uh, LEO satellite mega constellations uh, starting to uh, launch uh, those satellites. Um, the one thing that, uh, that comes to my mind in reading some of the data is that in a very short span of time, we've gone from about a thousand satellites in orbit, active satellites in orbit, to now well over two thousand satellites, uh, active satellites in orbit. And just the other day, we had SpaceX launch their second um, launch of the Starlink uh, constellation with another sixty satellites on that launch. Um, talk a little bit about these Leo. Uh, mega constellations and and what does that mean uh, going forward sure the pace of activity in leo is astounding um and i know there's a lot of exciting applications that are coming forth that i I think stand to provide a lot of benefits to the world um but the change in intensity in the use of low earth orbit really stands out i know in last year's report we were you know, we were excited or one of the key things that we were reporting is, you know, a projected four, fourfold increase in the use of space because we were looking at a possible 4,000 satellites in low Earth orbit compared to, as you said, the roughly 1,500 that were there. Um, we now surpassed the 2,000 level in terms of actual satellites um, in orbit last year. And in the, mo- in the latest SSI report, you know, that number that we were projecting had jumped to, I think I had counted almost 20,000 that were approved more or less for launch. And even now that number is already out of date because now I think we're starting to talk about up to 40,000. Um, and so that growth is really mind boggling. Um, I think from a sustainability perspective and from um, a safety perspective, uh, one of the big things that we reported on this year was the successful adoption of long-term sustainability guidelines at the UN Committee on the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space. Um, that's a fantastic initiative to make sure that we can use outer space um, sustainably 
today and in the future. Um, but I know that people that work on these issues, and one thing we raise is the concern that existing guidelines to maintain that sustainability really are completely out of step now with the more intense ways that we plan on using space in the very near future. Uh, and debris is really one of the issues that stands out there. So we're going into uncharted territory here in terms of the number of objects that we're placing in orbit and in particular in in low earth orbit um how are we going to manage this traffic is it uh do we have governance in place uh to the point where the different commercial players and we're not gonna we won't touch on the national players at this point or nation nations themselves but uh, you know how are they all going to uh I suppose, move in a way that we're not going to see another satellite crashing into another satellite. So a commercial operator may have a different question, hopefully, uh, sorry, a different answer, and hopefully a more concrete answer, because what comes to my mind is I'm just not sure. I'm not sure how that's going to work, given the fact that it's not a single large constellation with a single operator that we're talking about, it really is going to require intense coordination and communication across um, different commercial operators. And then that's not even including, you know, the 71 other countries that are operating satellites in outer space. Um, I think there was great momentum this year. Uh, you saw the, um, the effort to move forward on space traffic management uh, at a national level within the United States. I think that's an excellent sign of leadership. Um, we have to remember, though, that not all, I, I think the major commercial operators that are that have plans to move forward are located and regulated within the United States, but not all of them are. Um, you know, China has a flourishing commercial space sector as well, and there's also plans to move forward with constellations on a smaller scale, but constellations nonetheless, and, and also a growing intensity in terms of the use of space there. And that that's only two different countries um, that would each have different national regulations. So I think really the the onus is on the global community to work together on this issue um, and to make sure that the way regulations happen in one country match up with others. Otherwise, um, it's quite easy to see how there could be miscommunication and um, and accidents. And I think we saw that earlier this year with, you know, warnings about, you know, having to move satellites already for the Starlink constellation. And I, I think from an operator's perspective, it gets tricky as well, because moving a satellite out of the way isn't straightforward. Um, you also risk, you know, a, uh, like a ripple effect from your movement. Um, and so I'm not sure how it's going to work. I know that there's good intentions behind commercial operators to make sure that it works, to make space sustainable. It's in everyone's interest. Um, But I think we do need to see more happening on the global governance level. Yeah, I think one of the things that worries me is perhaps maybe not so much on the larger company size like SpaceX or the OneWebs or Amazon wanting to to put up their constellations and, uh, and, you know, obviously wanting to secure their orbits i think what might worry me a little bit more and and it's you know and don't get me wrong i embrace that there are so many wonderful applications that are coming from this that are going to help humanity but i wonder about small startups 
a company that doesn't have the resources of, let's say, a, a SpaceX that's putting up, let's say, 20, 24 satellites in a small constellation, but they don't have the resources to actually tap into that full situational awareness of what's going on out there, and their satellite may accidentally, you know, hit something. I'm just wondering... Uh, are there going to be, at least on the national level, and we see that in, in the U.S., that traffic management, space traffic management, has been a, a key driver in the last uh, year or so from a government policy perspective. Are we going to see uh, this proliferate around the world so that these small startups who are doing these things are, are, are going to have enough space situational awareness that they'll know, you know what's in front of them? I would hope so. I know that the task uh, from a national level, from the amount of support that the United States provides for this, is probably becoming rather overwhelming. And that's part of the logic towards moving it towards um, the Commerce Department. Um, and then I know there's a lot of commercial providers that are filling in gaps as well and providing you know, direct service to operators. Um, I think if you step back a little bit and look uh, again at the global level, that is a driving concern of the effort to have long-term sustainability goals through the United Nations, um, both to make sure that um, from a regulatory perspective, all com countries are on the same page with the very basic necessities um, that are needed to ensure, you know, um, any level of safety and, and sustainability in the long term, but also from a capacity building perspective, that's a key goal of that initiative there. Um, you know, I think you're right. Big companies are investing in, in having good access to space situational awareness and having the tools to make sure that their spacecraft are safe. Um, but I think they also have a bigger onus and, and to, to have a leadership role in making sure that they are at the cutting edge of, you know, space debris mitigation policies and processes and um, and maybe even providing some of that uh, capacity building that might be necessary for smaller operators. Now, Let's transition over to uh, a little bit of discussion on space debris. Um, I noticed that in the report, you said that we had the first successful demonstration of debris removal technology. How are we doing in terms of, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, with all these LEO constellations, we're trying to make sure that we don't create more debris, but there already is a lot of debris up there that still that has to be dealt with at some point. So how are we doing in terms of uh, moving forward uh, to getting, and I, I suppose there's some companies out there that are trying to create debris technology or an on-orbit servicing technology to take care of what's happening now going forward, but there's all that existing debris. How are we doing in terms of um cleaning up the neighborhood, as it were, going forward? Going forward, I don't see evidence that we're going to be cleaning up the neighborhood anytime soon. Uh, I think it's exciting that companies are investing in commercial capabilities to remove debris. Um, you're right. The focus of that is, um, you know, coping with future debris. So, you know, end-of-life services for satellites uh, in low Earth orbit, for example, so that they are deorbited quickly and don't become debris uh, that threatens other spacecraft. Um, cleaning up what's already there is a completely different ball game, and it's one that I don't think anyone is prepared to tackle. Um, and there's a, a lot of reasons for that. Um, it, technologically, it's a lot. It, it's different. It's harder. 
Um, and generally the focus on mitigation and removal is on really large objects, not the many small pieces that are that are orbiting and, and still pose a threat. Um, but the second question is, you know, who does it and who pays for it? Um, so again, when you're going forward, it's easier to say, well, you know, whoever puts their object in orbit is then responsible for making sure that um, that they're buying these services or making sure that they don't um, out, outlive their usefulness in orbit. Um, and then the third challenge really is, you know, regulatory, and that applies to all um, debris mitigation services. Um, there's no regulatory framework for removing objects from space or removing other objects from space. And part of that is because it's a it's a dual-use technology. And I know a lot of technology in space is dual-use, um, but when you're seeing these new abilities to really interact with objects in outer space and, and physically manipulate them, um, that is... That is an area where we don't have agreement on how to move forward, um, and it's also an area where there's concerns that the technology could be used maliciously against um, against a different satellite. Um, so I'm not overly hopeful in the near term. I'm excited by the commercial investment that's happening and the technology being developed, and I'm hopeful that um, particularly the large commercial operators are going to be on board with using these new capabilities, but cleaning up what's there isn't going to happen. And I think that's why it's really important to make sure we don't have collisions in space because that kind of debris that is created is not going to be cleaned up. So you're not making me feel very encouraged here, (laughs) Um, which, uh, because I'm remember going to conferences and seeing this discussed for many years now um you know we're on the right path at making sure that we don't create new debris and that if we do create something that needs to be removed that we're have the capability to do that um but you know aren't we creating aren't we setting ourselves up for future problems by not creating that uh, like removing that existing deb- debris, and I understand there's a lot of it, and there's different sizes of it. But even the the, the more the larger parts that we can get access to, um, you know, it was nation states that created most of that de- debris. Don't they have the responsibility to to clean that up? You would think so, and I'm I'm not a legal expert, and there's different legal debates about the responsibility that states have not to contaminate the space environment. Um, A lot of it was created before we had a capability to do anything, Um, but I haven't... I'm trying to imagine the technology that would be used to sort of to remove those smaller pieces. And so I, I think the focus is good on large objects, you know, on satellites that are no longer operating or large pieces of debris that are, that are in orbit that would have the potential to then shatter and create a lot of small debris. Um, but I'm not sure of the answer for, you know, the many millions of pieces of smaller debris that are out there. Um, and I think it really points to a focus on prevention. And that's why there is a big focus on um you know, space traffic management and not having collisions. And if we want to segue into the security side, um, you know, not intentionally destroying objects in outer space, um, which has uh, a serious potential to create debris. And we've seen that in the past. And most of that debris is still in orbit. 
Yeah, it, was it extremely irresponsible of India to to conduct its uh, anti-satellite test and um, one conduct the test and two basically um, you know say oh well, it's not going to create any debris it'll all be gone or it's not going to create sustained debris and it'll all be gone within you know X period of time when in fact what we're seeing is that there was a lot of debris and some of it's still up there and it's going to be up there for a while. Yeah, I'll be clear that the Space Security Index report itself doesn't, um, you know, pass judgment on activities. We wrote briefly about the technology that was used for the Indian anti-satellite test. I, I've written about this on a personal level elsewhere. Um, and I think debris stood out and debris was threatening to a lot of organizations and it was interesting to see that, you know, NASA raised flags, um, particularly given the fact that, you know, we have humans in orbit um, that are in proximity of where that debris exists. And you had companies like Planet that also pushed back on this. Um, so I, I think it was negative um, for a variety of different reasons. I think there's positives that come out of it, this discussion about, you know, is there any amount of debris that can be responsibly created? You know, is if you say that it's less debris than others have created, is that still considered adequate or responsible? And I think we're seeing pushback against that, which is positive. Um, and from, again, I keep going back to governance because that really stands out in the report this year. But at the United Nations, there's now, you know, increasing discussion among states about the need to maybe agree not to conduct any satellite tests that create debris. And I think that would be another positive outcome. Uh, what I would hate to see happen um, is for the global community to wait for um, a really significant catastrophic catastrophic event to take place on orbit before we start moving forward on these issues. Uh, for me, it's a no-brainer that we don't intentionally create debris on orbit. Um, and uh, so, I would have liked to have seen more countries speak out about that. So uh, I, part of the press release, you had some quotes from uh, Brian Whedon, who uh, wrote um, the Global Assessment Volume. Um, in which he says uh, the challenges, uh, while, the, while the year's challenges were not new, it is likely true that we have reached a turning point. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Sure. So that goes back to the earlier discussion we were having about the fact that you know, what we're doing in the report is tracking trends. And the, most trends aren't new. We're not seeing drastic changes in outer space, but we're seeing... Um, change of pace, I suppose. And I think what stands out last year was really this gap between a flourishing space activity, which is global, it's military, civil, commercial, it is touching on, you know, traditional uses of space through satellites, on new technologies, on um, you know, resource extraction, there's a lot happening, and the slow pace at which, which governance is moving. Um, and so it's that turning point. Um, it, that seems to be the turning point. And when you see things like, you know, an unauthorized satellite launch, uh, when you see new technologies such as debris removal that are advancing, but in the absence of an agreed framework for how we're going to use them going forward, that's this turning point that he's speaking to. Um, and when you see you know, continued roadblocks to trying to agree to restrictions or restraints on the use of force in outer space. 
um, at the same time that you see accelerating capabilities for anti-satellite tests or just activities that make some states uncomfortable, um, that's that the gap that seems to be reaching a turning point. So the gap isn't new, um, but at some point, we're not going to be able to continue doing business as usual when the use of space is not following business as usual. Um, so something's going to have to change, I think. Okay. On that note, is there anything else from the report that stands out that uh, the, our audience should uh, be aware of? Uh, there's a lot in there. I would encourage people to you know, take a detailed look at the contents before delving in because um, I think it's an exciting year. Um, Where can they get the report? They can get the report online. Okay. It's on our website. It's a pay-what-you-can approach. Okay. Um, I think it's important to know how we produce it. You know, this is an, an initiative that is spearheaded from within civil society and academia. Uh, I coordinated at Project Plushers, but we have um, we have partners working on it from the Institute of Air and Space Law at McGill University, from the Research Unit on Law and Military Ethics at the University of Adelaide, uh, from the Simons Foundation um, in Canada, and from the Space Policy Institute at George Washington University. Uh, we bring people from around the world to help us review the draft research and have a conversation about the key events that are happening and how they should be, you know, interpreted and described. And I think to me, you know, that the nuts and bolts of how we put it together is just as exciting and important as what what the end product is. So, right. So um, it's a it's a it's a it's a product of a global uh, initiative. Yeah. Well, we're not fully global. Obviously, we have a strong bias in Canada, but I think, um, you know, trying to be global and really trying to focus on bringing a measure of transparency to what's happening in outer space and making it accessible to as many people as possible is something that is unique to this effort. So I should have said international. Okay. So the uh, website is spacesecurityindex.org. It is the 16th edition available now, and uh, it's a pay-as-you-go, pay-as-you-want approach, I suppose, is what you said. Uh, so I do encourage people to, uh, to you can get the executive summary downloaded for free, but if you can't really afford to pay for it, if you're a student, but you're still interested in this, you can just, uh, from what I saw, uh, put down no funds and just able to download it. But if you can't afford to, to do something, uh, please do. They Obviously, this... Uh, initiative cost funds for all these people to do their research um and it is a very interesting read and does bring up a lot of points that everybody should be aware of because the use of uh, outer space and in particular uh, the area low earth orbit and close to earth is uh, vital uh and we need to be responsible with it so jessica thank you today for giving us some insights on the new index yeah, thank you for having me, and I, I hope people are interested and take a look. Well, that's a wrap on this podcast. If you have comments on this episode, you can email me at podcast at spaceq.ca. I read and answer all your comments in a timely fashion. You can also find SpaceQ on Twitter, at Canada in Space, and we post all our articles and podcasts to Facebook. Regardless of which app you use to listen to us, we'd really appreciate it if you could rate our podcast and write a review. Of course, that's only if you like us. Your rating and review will help us in getting the podcast widely listened to. And hey, if you like what we do, please support us on Patreon. 
at patreon.com slash spaceq. Lastly, if you haven't listened to the latest episode of our new podcast, Terranauts, what are you waiting for? Host Ian Christie is a natural interviewer who knows how to tease good stories from those who work every day in space, but don't go to space. Terranauts is available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and your favorite app. Listen to it now. Thank you, and we'll see you next week.